Revelation 21. And verse 1. This is what God's Word tells us. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man, and he will dwell with him, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage and I will be his God and he will be my son. But, as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur. This is the second death. This is hell. The second death. You know, last week, as, as we were leading into this, we, we took sort of just a quick glance at the Scriptures about journey, our life, this temporary journey that we're on. And we went back into the Old Testament and we looked at some places in the New Testament and this, this journey, this temporary journey, even though it's temporary, it's still meaningful, right? It's still full of purpose. And as we look, this journey is going to end. It's, it'll either end in my death. My journey will either end in my death. Or it's going to end when our Lord comes back. Right? It's going to end when He comes back. So either way, this journey, this temporary journey is going to end. You remember, this is what Peter said about this journey. This is the way he talked about it in, in uh, 1 Peter chapter 2. He said this in verse 9, But you are a royal, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for His own possession, that is for Christ, for His own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light, once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now have received mercy. And in chapter 2, verse 11, Peter says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles. And that's what we are. You know, the longer I, I, I 
grew in, in my faith and, and, and looked at the Bible, the more I realized as a Christian, I'm homeless. In one sense, I'm homeless. Right? I mean, this is, this is not my home. And Peter says, I'm urging you as sojourners. This is how you are. You're sojourners. You're exiles. And he says, in light of that, to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, and they are speaking against us as evildoers at this very moment, so that when they do speak against you, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. You know what the day of visitation is? The judgment. So in other words, it's coming to an end. This sojourning, this exile, it's coming to an end. Until then, Peter says, I'm urging you, I'm begging you, live a life worthy of the gospel. Don't just say, oh, this all doesn't matter. There is meaning here. There is purpose here. It does matter. So what's the end of the journey? Right? I mean, journey implies a destination, right? If you say, I'm on a journey... We're not like, uh, you remember uh, the, the old Doors song, you remember Jim Morrison, and, and, and we're on a road to nowhere. That's, 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 that's the way the world thinks. So much of the world, we're just on a road to nowhere. No meaning, no purpose. Now, I hate to tell him, he's wrong, and he's found that out, by the way, because his journey ended. And unless he turned to Christ, it didn't end good. It didn't end well for him. So what's at the end of it? For the unbeliever, it's clear. What we've seen in the book of Revelation, it's clear. What is at the end of this journey for the unbeliever, for the one who refuses Christ, for the one who does not come to faith and trust in Christ? What is at the end of this journey? Well, it's judgment. We've already seen that. What's at the end of this journey? It's the second death. It's hell. It's judgment. It's the wrath of God for all eternity. And we've seen that in the book of Revelation, right? But for the believer... What's at the end of this journey? Why, it's heaven. It's heaven. Now, when we talk about heaven, okay, we, we have to avoid some extremes here. All right? One extreme we have to avoid is just to get so sentimental about heaven that what we end up doing is fashioning, fashioning heaven the way we want it to be. You know, we, we create a heaven that we want it to be. And so, you know, man, I'm going to have my cloud and my harp and this kind of thing, or I'm going to have my planet or whatever. Uh, you know, it's going to be, heaven's going to be. What's the best thing you can think of right now? What's the most, most joyous thing in your life right now? Well, heaven's got to be that to the nth degree, right? Well, the problem with that kind of sentimental thinking is that we sell God's word way too short. I mean, if you're settling for a heaven like that, you're settling for something too far, far less than what God's revealed. I told the men, uh, I think it was last Sunday night we were meeting, I, I, for some reason a couple of weeks ago, I haven't listened to this song in years, but for some reason in my mind, has this ever happened to you? Some, a song gets stuck in your mind, you can't get it out, and you're like, where did it come from? All, like, all that kept running through my mind, and this happened for days. It wasn't just like one time. It was like every time I started, I guess maybe I was thinking about heaven. But for some reason, Hank Williams Jr.'s song, If Heaven Ain't a Lot Like Dixie, I Don't Want to Go. It Ain't Got a Grand Ole Opry. And that just, and every time it would, it would come to my mind, I'd have to confess. 
Because I'd find myself like this catchy tune and, and I'll learn, no, 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 no. I can't think like that as a believer. But you see, it's like this, this idea, this sentimental idea of, well, heaven's got to be the very best thing that I possibly have here, or this or that. Or we could go to the other end of the spectrum. You know what's become the national anthem and has been for a while. You know, it used to be Amazing Grace, right? And we still sing them. We, we'll pull Amazing Grace out and sing it every now and then. But you know what's becoming the, the popular national anthem now? And you watch. It's going to be more and more and more. Remember John Lennon's Imagine? I mean, that was, that was, the, that was the hippie generation. That was all Lennon was singing about. Imagine this utopian society. I'll tell you what John Lennon was imagining. John Lennon was imagining hell. He didn't even know it. Didn't even realize it. But he's imagining hell. You remember how that song starts? Imagine. There is no heaven. I mean, imagine. I mean, what is he thinking when he writes this? And he says, it's easy if you try. No hell below us. Above us, only sky. And then that first part of that, that song that he wrote, it, it, say, it ends this way. He talks about how imagine all the people, everybody, all of humanity, Living for today. In other words, there's no eternity. Don't imagine stuff like that. And, and don't imagine that there's some kind of judgment and that there's some kind of heaven that, that we, we should be desiring and aspiring. It's just about today. Imagine if everybody just lived for today. Well, I'm, as I said earlier, what John Lennon's imagining is coming true right now. And what is it? It's chaos. It is literally hell on earth. When every single individual lives for their own pleasures and creates their own reality and creates, in a sense, their own heaven today, it's no wonder we look at each other and hate each other. I don't like your heaven. You don't like my heaven. You see, we can't get this, this warmed-over sentimental thinking when it comes to heaven. Solomon makes an interesting point in the book of Ecclesiastes. In Ecclesiastes chapter 3, Solomon makes this point in verse 11. He says this. He says eternity is in the heart of every person. Why is it there? Well, you have to go back to creation and understand God's created us in his image. And part of being created in the image of God, as Paul will tell us in Romans 1, is that there is a knowledge of God. It's there. The problem, Paul says, is it's being suppressed. The image of God is there. And part of that image of God, there's this understanding that eternity, God exists, and that there is something more than this existence. And Solomon says in the book of Ecclesiastes, what happens is the people just become restless. They're so restless that eternity that's there, they become restless and we see it played out. We've seen it played out ever since the fall when the image is shattered. This restlessness drives people to, to try to get this fulfillment. I've got to satisfy this desire. I've got to scratch this itch, this restless itch. And what do they do? They go to all kinds of things. And at the end of it, if it's not Christ, at the end of it, where does it leave them? Empty, frustrated, even more restless. 
And that's what we're seeing again today, right? What we're trying to do today to, to deal with this restlessness of the heart is we're trying to create our own new creation. And it's going to fall apart. It's going to fall apart. Augustine, in his Confessions, he writes this book, Confessions, and it's about his, his personal experience with Christ. It's beautiful, wonderful read and what he goes into to this, this, this great detail about about his coming to the gospel and his relationship with Christ. And there's so much insight into his struggle with sin. But as he starts that, he says, listen, we're all restless. And he says, he's praying to God and he says, God, you've created us for yourself. That's the way you created us. And our hearts will stay restless until we find our peace in you. It's so true, isn't it? You remember what it was like as an unbeliever? I do. There's a restlessness there. And in finding that peace in Christ, finding it, He's made us for Himself. We are restless. Our rest, can we find it here and now? Yeah, we can. There is a rest here in Christ. But the problem with the rest here is it's temporary. It's not complete. There's a final rest coming. And that final rest is complete. Where is it complete? Well, John answers it. John begins to answer that for us in Revelation chapter 21. Let me say this too, as as just a, a side note. The Christian faith, the Christian worldview, would make no sense at all if there was no eternity. It would make no sense at all if there was not an eternal destiny that God has prepared for His people. You see, it makes no sense if there's not an eternal destiny. Now let me say this about the eternal destiny though. It's not an eternal destiny that's based on rewarding us. It's not. It's not what we're going to see in the book of Revelation. What it is, it's an eternal destiny that is the completion of God's intentions and purposes from the very beginning. It's what He was going to do from the very beginning. And then, bam, sin disrupts everything. So it's a completion. This, if, if it weren't for this completion, the Christian faith wouldn't make much sense. It just wouldn't make much sense. I mean... Why, why do all this, right? So then, what is heaven, right? I mean, that's what we want to know. What in the world is heaven? Well, John is going to reveal to us, uh, beginning in chapter 21, and he answers this. Now, he's gonna, his answer might surprise us in some ways. Because, again, if, if we're so wrapped up into movies and books about heaven and the sentimental view of it, some of this might sound a little strange. And some of us may have to sort of reorient our thinking to come in line with what God's Word actually says about this eternal destiny. But we're dealing all future here. But it has present implications. And so what we see, there's three things in these first eight verses. And it's the new heaven, it's the new earth, it's the new city. And then there's this voice from heaven that sort of brings clarity to what John's seeing. So, here's the first thing. The new heaven, the new earth. Now, 
as we get into 21 and 22, John is going to pull from Old Testament imagery like crazy. And the first thing that he says here, when he says, then I saw, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. This has Old Testament roots. We've read this passage before when we were dealing in Revelation chapter 20 and talking about the millennium, the the millennial reign of Christ. And, And this language is found in Isaiah chapter 65, verse 17, where Isaiah talks about and prophesies about this new heaven, this new earth that is to come. Keep your finger here. I want you to go to Romans. Romans chapter 8. Because we see it by way of implication in Romans chapter 8. Paul says something interesting about all the creation of God. All of his creation. Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8 verse 18. Paul's talking about this future glory. He says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Listen to verse 19. For the creation. What is the creation? Heaven. Earth. In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. That's just a way of saying He created everything. He created everything that exists. So for the creation, everything that exists, listen to this language, waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly. What is this subjected to futility? It was plunged into sin with the sin of Adam in Genesis 3. All of creation was plunged into sin. Not willingly, but because of Him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself, The creation itself will be set free from its bondage to decay and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption of sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. All of creation is looking for, Paul says, it's looking for this redemption. It's wanting to be redeemed. It's wanting to be saved in a sense. Why? Because when sin entered the picture, every part of God's creation was plunged into sin. I got news for the environmentalist. They ain't going to save this creation. This creation's not groaning for the salvation of man. This creation is groaning for the salvation of its creator. It's groaning for it. By way of implication, then there is going to be a connection between the new heaven and new earth. And this earth, this heaven and earth, it's going to be brand new. One more place before we go back to, to Revelation 21. Stop off at Second Peter. Second Peter. Second Peter chapter 3. 
2 Peter chapter 3. Peter's talking about the second coming of Christ in verse 8, 2 Peter 3, 8. He says, but do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens, listen to this, then the heavens will pass away with a roar. And the heavenly bodies will burn up and dissolve, be dissolved. And the earth and the works that are done in it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness? Waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of the Lord, of the day of God. Because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to this promise, we are waiting for, you see it, new heavens and a new earth. We're waiting for it in which righteousness dwells, which is perfect. God destroyed the world once, didn't he? He did it by a flood. But do you remember what he said? I will never do this again. What's the sign of that covenant? It's a rainbow. We see it when it rains, right? Every time you look at the rainbow, it's a promise. I will not destroy the earth by flood. But there's coming a time when when this will be stripped away. Peter says it's going to be stripped away with fire. I don't know what all that means. Okay, There was a time when we were convinced it was nuclear war. It's got to be nuclear war. I don't know. I don't know how it's going to happen, but what I do know is that at some point, this heaven, this earth is passing away. John says it's literally dissolving right before our very eyes. So, when we go back into Revelation chapter 21, John says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. It was gone. This is completely new. It's not new in the sense of time. It's new in quality. It's new. It's, it's, it's totally new. It, it, is, it is the remaking of this. There is some connection with the old, but, but this is new. And the old has passed away. This is going to come up again in just a second. And then he says this, and the sea was no more. The sea was no more. You mean there's no sea? There's no water? There's no... That's not what he's talking about. What he's talking about, again, we've seen this, and I've mentioned this before. In the book of Revelation, C stands, it's a metaphor for for chaos, for evil. We see this in places like Isaiah chapter 57, verse 20, where the evil, the wicked, they're they're like on the sea, they're tossed on the sea. We see it in another place in the Old Testament. Psalm 107, this, this connection between C and evil and chaos. What's he saying? There is a new heaven, a new earth. The old has passed away and there is no more chaos. There is no more evil. There is no more sin. There is not even the effects. There is no longer the result of sin and evil. It has been purged out. It is gone. It's over. Now, I would submit to you that what he's describing right here and what he's going to describe in the city in just a second is reality. That what we're living in right now, this temporary journey, 
It can be beautiful, can it? And it can be ugly. This is not reality. Now follow me just a second. We have two chapters in the very beginning of the book that talks about the creation. And that creation was perfect. We have two chapters at the end of the book that's describing the new creation. And that creation is perfect. In other words, God began something. God's going to complete something. And everything in between, yes, we live it and we suffer and we go through the happiness, the joys, the beauty, the ugly, and all that. It is real in a sense. But in the ultimate sense of reality, what God is doing is not just saying to us, hey, you got to live in this mess, just tough it out. Come on, this is the real world, man. You got to make it through this mess. Somehow, you know, it's the real world. Get your mind out of that heaven. Quit imagining that stuff. Get down here in the real world. I say to that, no, 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 no. This is not the real world. This is a fallen world. This is not what my God intended. My God intended a perfect creation. And sin messed it up. And someday he's going to bring this non-reality to an end. And we're going to go to what he intended from the very start. You see, that's reality. And when we think about it right, it brings us great hope. I mean, think about it. No more chaos. No more evil. What John's describing is as real as it gets. This is as real as it gets. Then notice the second thing that he sees. He says, and I saw the holy city. New Jerusalem. Now be careful here. Because all that he says about the new heaven and new earth is that there's no more sea and the old had passed away. And then he goes into, and I saw the holy city. If we're not careful, we rush through this and we think that, okay, God's created a new heaven and new earth. And in that new heaven and new earth is a new city. I don't think that's what he's saying. Because he doesn't say anything else about the new heaven and new earth. It's as if he's using one metaphor. And then he comes back and he's seeing the same thing. But he's using another metaphor. John's done this throughout the book of Revelation. Think about how he's presented Christ. He is a lamb, right? But at the same time, he's a lion. Well, which one is he, John? He is a lamb and he's a lion. John's done this before. So I think when you read through this very slowly, I saw a new heaven and new earth and the first heaven and the first earth passed away and the sea was no more and I saw the holy city. I think he's further describing this new heaven and new earth. And then he identifies it here as the holy city, New Jerusalem. And he says it's coming down out of heaven from God. Then he uses another metaphor here. Prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne. After he sees this, there's this loud voice. Now I think the obvious connection here with Jerusalem. This is a new Jerusalem. 
There's, there's two main things that jump out with the old Jerusalem. One is that was the dwelling place of God in a sense. It was in the tabernacle, then it's in the temple. That was the holy city. That was the place where God dwelt with his people, right? But it was also a place of atonement. It was the place where sacrifice was made. But it was sinful and it was not complete. What he's seeing now is what is complete. And it's going to become obvious in just a second when he talks about what is the, what is the, the, the central theme of this completeness. God dwelling with his people. God's dwelling with his people. So he sees the holy city, the new Jerusalem, and notice too, it's coming down out of heaven. It's coming from God. Man didn't create this. It's coming from God. And then this other metaphor that he uses, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. We've seen this bride before. Chapter 19, there's a marriage supper, right? Between Christ and the church. The church is the bride. Christ is the groom. So we've seen this language before already. And there are other places in the New Testament that use this type of language. Even in the Old Testament, this language is used of God's relationship with his people. This, this marriage relationship. And it's what marriage is to point to, this intimate relationship. The most intimate relationship that I have on this earth, in this temporary journey. The most intimate relationship that I have is with my wife. There is no other relationship like that relationship. It is the most intimate relationship. That's why this metaphor, when he talks about her being prepared. By the way, the word that he uses, we get the word cosmetics from. Cosmetics. She's being beautified. Right? She's gone to the spa. She's getting her makeup done. She's powdering her nose. You get all that language. Yeah, that's what we say, you know, you know, got to go powder my nose. Oh, you, you want to go somewhere? North? Yeah, let me go get fixed up. Let me go adorn myself, right? Uh, very interesting word. Cosmeo is the Greek word. Paul will use it when he tells Timothy about women adorning themselves. And he uses the same, the same word there. She's being adorned. She's being made up. You remember the story of Esther? You remember Esther? She's in this contest, this, this beauty contest for a queen. And she ends up finding favor with one of the chief eunuchs. And he gave her all kinds inside cosmetics. And man, she fixed herself up. She dolled herself up. She adorned herself. And when she went into the king, the king was pleased. You see, I think in that whole story of Esther, there's a beautiful picture of the gospel. We've been adorned. We've been made up through the gospel, through the grace of God. And we're going to be presented to the king. We are a bride. Prepared. Prepared for what is to come. And then he gets to the voice and he says, and I heard a loud voice. Not a little mealy mouth voice. John didn't have to go, uh, could you speak up? I didn't quite get that. No, here's a loud voice. We've seen loud voices before. This one's coming from the throne. And this loud voice is saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. It's with man. 
He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things. Here's the language again has passed away. It's passed away. It's over. There's a new heaven, new creation, new holy city, new Jerusalem. Adorned as a bride, the old is passed away. There is no, all evil, all results of sin have been purged. It's a beautiful place, but you see the central theme of this place is the fact that God is dwelling with us. Now this is going to come out more as we go through this section at the end of the book of Revelation. The the, uh, voice on the throne says something else in verse 5. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. This is reality. This is the reality. These are trustworthy and true. The words of man, you can't trust. The words of man, they're not trustworthy and true. But this is the very word of God. Remember Jesus is praying in John 17 and he says to the Father, I want you to sanctify them. I want you to set them apart, prepare them. And the way that I want you to do it is I want you to do it by your word. And he says this, because your word is true. This is true. It's trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it is done. Literally, it's they are done. And he says, I am the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end. You get that? The beginning and he, In other words, he's everything. He's the creator. We're not. He is everything. And then here comes this beautiful promise. And this promise is, is, is attached with it by implication a warning too. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. It's all of grace. All you have to do is come. You just come. Who is this? Spring of the water of life, it's Christ. We'll see this. He was the tree of life in the garden. He's going to be in the new creation again. And we come to Him. We come to Him. And we drink freely to the thirsty. Are you thirsty? Then just come and drink. Didn't Jesus say this at times? Are you thirsty to the thirsty? Come and drink and I'm going to give you water. I'm not going to give you this earthly water. I'm going to give you this living water. The very grace of the gospel. You drink of this. You remember when he said you drink of this and you're going to live forever. Oh, please give us this water. Give us this water. Give us this water. No, you don't understand what I'm talking about. It's me. It's me. Then he says this in verse 7. The one who conquers will have, his, will have this heritage and I will be his God and he will be my son. Again, pulled straight out of the Old Testament. Exodus 4. Israel is the firstborn of God. Pulled straight out of the Old Testament. What is it now about the people of God when we're in this new heaven, new earth, new city, new Jerusalem, adorned as a bride, God dwelling with us, the, 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 the effects of sin purged away, everything remade. As the people of God will be His Son. Now, if the relationship between husband and wife is intimate, the relationship between parent and child is as intimate as well, right? 
This is beautiful imagery that he's drawing on. And at the end of the day, these metaphors, this imagery, is leading us to this one central point. This is about an intimate relationship, not with my wife or my children. That's only a foretaste of an intimate relationship with my God for all eternity. Now chew on that for a while. That's reality. That's what He's prepared. That's what He intended in the first place. And He's going to bring it to completion. He's going to bring it to completion. So they will be my son. But here's the warning, verse 8. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. In other words, hell. So here's the warning. Okay? New or old? What do you want? New or old? You want to put your faith and trust in the old? Go ahead. And you're going to meet judgment. You want to come to the new? You come to the new through Christ. You don't come to the new through religion. You don't come to the new by working it up. You come and you drink, and it's without payment, you see? It's without payment. That's how you come. So there's this new heaven, new earth, transformed, purged of evil. That's, this is, look, we're just getting started. We're just getting started. There's several more sections of this to come. He just introduces to us to the new Jerusalem. Next, he's going to describe it in more detail. So just imagine if this is just sort of the introduction to it. Imagine what's just around the corner. The new or the old. Every person who trusts in Christ will be transformed. The gospel transforms us from the inside out. We'll be transformed. And the focus of the Bible for those that have been transformed is this desire. This the desire for this new creation that God's going to bring to completion. But the warning is every unbeliever. See, we just sometimes want to say, man, John, why don't you just leave some of this stuff off? Let us just leave on, a, on this high note. But then there's this warning to the unbeliever. This is not yours. Your reality is something different. Your reality is hell. The wrath of God for all eternity. His purposes will be accomplished. They will be completed. The God who made a perfect world will one day remake, transform. He will win the victory and He will remake and transform and bring about another perfect world. Are you a believer? Are you a Christian? This is what awaits you. This is what awaits you. Wait till we get to when John starts to talk about us ruling and reigning. 
get to see that why does he say city? He didn't say countryside. He didn't say in God, this new heaven and new earth, it's like this beautiful mountain valley. No, no, no. What he says is it's a city. What's the implication of city? People, activity. It's going to be a busy place in some sense. Ruling and reigning? I don't know what that means fully. But you know what? If you're a believer, you're going to be there. You're going to be there because of the grace of Christ. You're going to be there because of the grace of God. So I guess the question that we end with is this. Are you going to be a part of it? Are you going to be a part of it? If you're thirsty, then come and drink. There it is. There is a river. A river of life. And it is Christ. And all it is, is you turning from your sin and putting your faith and trust in Christ. If that's not true of you, and you've never done that, You need to turn today because this temporary journey ends in death or it ends with His second coming. This is a glorious future. In a few hours, I will be standing before a group of people. And tomorrow, as we gather here for Sally's funeral, I will be standing in front of a group of people in the face of death, in the face of the sinfulness of this fallen world and death and pain and sorrow and misery and agony. And if I could not stand and talk about what is real, the reality of a new heaven and new earth and a transformed existence that, yes, involves even a body that's placed into a grave that will be raised one day incorruptible. And I could not talk about a hope that one day all of this is purged away and that I will dwell with my God. Then I might as well just sit down and shut up because anything else I have to say is no good. It's no good. It is Christ. That's our hope. And there He is. Drink. Drink. Let's pray. Father, Your Word, again, is sharper than any two-edged sword. 